The following program was made possible by Ward's Lawyers. Find us at wardlegal.ca. Folks, I want to apologize. I made a mistake. As I said, folks, from day one of my producing and hosting this program, folks, the buck stops with me, but it's also someone else's fault. So I'm also blaming them mostly, folks. Mr. Gringo, what exactly are you apologizing for? Is it the lame opening sketches that open your podcast episodes? And, and what specifically is it about those sketches that you're apologizing for? The hackneyed writing? The tired impressions? The excessive use of the echo sound effect to make it sound like you're actually holding a real press conference? Or that you keep corralling people in your home to do the voices? As I said, folks, and I will continue to say clearly, in a vague manner, mistakes were made but I was following the expert advice of people who did a lot more Googling than I did. You don't know what it's like, folks, to walk in my shoes. But Mr. Grignol, experts, real experts, warned you months ago that these sketches would only get less and less funny. They presented you with scientific data to prove this, and you chose to ignore that data. Explain. Well, you see, folks, that's the problem. My beloved 10-year-old Blackberry doesn't have a data plan, so that's why I didn't recognize that data you mentioned. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have to go and host a podcast, folks. Welcome to the program. My name is Denis Grignon, not a Blackberry owner, by the way. Today, we hear from both sides of the ATV debate. Should they or shouldn't they be allowed to travel along designated streets in Lindsay? If you're a farmer with an innovative, even wild, but sound idea, but need the funds to make it happen, well, keep listening. A new word in our well-defined feature, along with the deets on a couple of cool new programs at the library. Music by Dunsford's Nathan Truax and... Pure joy. Being able to feel that I can help somebody else. No matter, even though they're not really close to me and I don't know who they are, I just want to be able to help them. A local donation program of an artistic nature that got underway pre-pandemic and slowed because of it, but could return in the fall. Thanks for joining us for episode 30 of the Advocate Podcast, Stories from Kawartha Lakes. So how many of you have been afforded the luxury well, maybe not the luxury, but afforded the time to clean out those closets of unused, well, everything. Stuff that's still wearable, just not wearable by you. I speak from personal experience here when I say a lot of my pants have shrunken in the past 13 months. Huh. Some good news, though. All that stuff doesn't have to end up in the landfill. The city of Corth Lakes is now accepting textile recycling at all five of its landfill sites in an interesting partnership with Talies. That's a thrift store in Peterborough. Kerry Snoddy is the Regulatory Compliance Officer, Environmental Services with the city. Uh, Kerry, uh, thanks, for, uh, thanks for joining us. No problem. Thanks for having me. Okay, tell me why you felt there was a need for this kind of program in the first place. Sure. Uh, so we're always looking to divert as much material as possible from our landfill sites. Uh, we actually previously had a textile program here in Kawartha Lakes uh, before my time, before I started working with the city. Uh, with a different contractor, which ended up um, not really working out logistically. Uh, I believe that the textiles were collected kind of in conjunction with the blue box, and there would be contamination of the textiles getting mixed in. There was a lot of extra effort to sort 
we did continue to see a demand from residents who were interested in the textile program. We brought the idea back to council um, last year. We invited all sorts of organizations to um, submit proposals to work with the city and the Tillies Recycling Rewards just ended up being the successful bidder of that process. What was it that, that they were able to come to you with this RFP, this request for proposal that, that appealed to the City of Kawartha Lakes to partner with them? Uh, they just had a well put together proposal. We actually didn't get too many uh, bids on the work. I know it's a really difficult time for a lot of companies with the pandemic going on, um, especially dealing with something like um, donations and clothing coming in from the public. So um, they had a well put together proposal. They were willing to work with us. It's We don't um, have to pay for the service. So they collect at our sites, they actually pay us a very small amount um, for the textiles that they go on to sell in their store or send off to be recycled. It sounds like a sweet deal for the city, but I'm just wondering how, how much will Talese or, or any organization collect and go, all right, we can't use a lot of this stuff. What happens to that stuff? Are they still responsible for, I guess they're taking it to the landfill or is it is it out of your hands at that point once they pick it up? That was something that we were very interested in when we got into this process because we didn't want to just be taking it away from our landfill and then sending it to another landfill. Uh, we wanted it to be really transparent and know where the material was going. So that was part of our request for a proposal was to ask the companies to tell us what they're doing with it. So. And what was their answer? Uh, they have a 96% diversion rate, so 96% um, of the materials they collect are either reused or recycled. So it's a pretty comprehensive list. When I went onto the city's website and I saw what can be accepted, and uh, and, and I saw it and went, okay. So how are they going to take running shoes and chop those up into uh, uh, in, in, into resellable rags? I'm just wondering how that list was developed. Yeah, so that was the, the list that they provided to us. So those are the types of materials they can either um, accept to, you know, resell in their store or recycle into different materials. I don't remember the entire list of um, the different types of material they recycle things into. I know rags for sure. We spend staff time on it uh, to operate the program, but there's no, there's no cost to the taxpayer to run this program. You've hinted that this could lead to curbside of textiles. What would need to happen for that to happen? It is the plan. So as part of the RFP that we put out, um, there were three things included. So one was the bins at the landfill. Uh, number two was at least two uh, curbside pickups per year. Um, so we just don't have the exact dates put together yet. Um, we're hoping for one in June and one in October. The third item is to provide bins when we're able to do our environmental roundup days. How much textile do you think this is diverting from our landfills here in the city of Kawartha Lakes? About 40 tons a year is what we expect. That's typically what we've seen in other municipalities when we've looked at it. My name is Danielle Hiddink from Wards Lawyers and Lindsay, your official sponsor of the Advocate Podcast, Stories from Kawartha Lakes.
We are 100% local media, which includes The Advocate magazine, now available at Food for Less and Lamentia's Country Market. The May issue examines the overlooked indigenous history of our area. Sylvia Kiesmatt's cover story looks at what we don't know about this history and, and why it hasn't occurred to us to wonder. This, of course, is the Advocate podcast, Stories from Kawartha Lakes, but we are more than just stories. We're words, cool words that you may not have even heard before. Words that you may want to toss into everyday conversation. This is one of my personal favorite segments of the podcast. It's called Well Defined. Well Defined. Well Defined. What does that mean anyway? Well Defined. Lindsay Bowen is our expert in this segment. Expert? Yeah, I think that's the right word here. Lindsay is with Outreach and Community Development with Kawartha Public Library. Hey, Lindsay, thanks for doing this. Thank you, as always, to you as well, Denis. Okay, before we get to our well-defined word, our new well-defined word, there are a few things uh, I was hoping to talk to you about. One of them is this Spice Club, which I understand has a gangbusters response to it. Yes, absolutely. We were thinking we'd get absolute max 25 participants, but we currently have over 60 people that have registered for our new Spice Club. Okay, well, you have to explain that a little bit because I'm for, for future Spice Clubs that people want to join and maybe... Uh, get in the queue a bit more quickly. What What is a spice club? So what we do is um, we send home a new spice each month. Uh, patrons can pick it up at their preferred library branch. Um, along with that spice comes a handout that includes some information about it, um, some cookbook suggestions, details about our uh, free digital resource for recipes and more. Um, and that's called A to Z World Foods. And then so essentially you get the whole month to sort of experiment with the recipes we were given. At the end of the month, the whole group meets and uh, discusses what went well, what recipes we made, and just a fantastic way to uh, gather as a community. And, and steer people towards the cookbooks that are available in the library too, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we're very thankful to have partnered with uh, Burns Bulk Food to offer this program. Okay. Now, the other one that really piqued my interest was uh, the cognitive kits. Um, so these are kits that caregivers can take out from the library, um, take home or to um, a senior home, wherever um, their loved one is uh, staying. And uh, there are different activities in the kit that are appropriate. So maybe it's a, a puzzle or um, a game or um, coloring, anything like that. So we currently have eight different themed kits. Uh, themes include hockey, gardening, farming, and more. And we work very closely with the Alzheimer's Society of Peterborough, Kawartha Lakes, Northumberland, and Halliburton to bring these kits to our community. Well, some real touchstones there when you think of our community. You mentioned hockey, gardening, and farming. Exactly. Those are very strategic themes. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you thought that went through. Well, that's great. What's the response been so far on that? Uh, so far, so good. The gardening one, of course, at this time of year has already gone out, and there's a wait list for that one. And we expect that one to continue to be uh, very popular. So positive feedback so far, and we're looking forward to seeing uh, more kits get into the hands of people in our community. Much more than just books at, uh, at the Kawartha Public Library, obviously. You're also about words. So what do you have for us in our well-defined segment this time around, Lindsay? Well, I wanted to circle back a little bit to our Spice Club. So as you know, it's a new program, and the group hasn't actually met for their first meeting yet. So you could say that the Spice Club, Spice Club is inchoate. Inchoate? Inchoate. How do you spell mm -hmm. that? I-N-C-H-O-A-T-E. Okay, this one's new to me. I have no idea what inchoate means, so you'll have to enlighten us. Okay, so inchoate means in partial existence or operation. So just beginning, not fully formed or developed. Inchoate, okay. I, I will squeeze that into my conversation, inchoate. <laughs> Thanks so much, Lindsay. Thank you, Denis. My name is Craig Schroeder, and you're listening to The Advocate Podcast, Stories from Kawartha Lakes. Dude, you got it in the first take. Awesome. <laughs>
Farming, like any industry, is always changing, evolving. For local farmers wanting to adapt and adopt new ways of farming, new ideas that may not have been tried before, well, that likely requires someone willing to back financially that idea. Heck, maybe these farmers have already approached the traditional lenders but were turned down. These are the kinds of farmers the Community Foundation of Kawartha Lakes is seeking with its recently launched Agri-Innovation Loan Program. Jack Rocks is a retired lawyer who moved to Cameron Lake about six years ago. He is also president of the CFKL, and he's here with me now. Jack, I, uh, I appreciate you making the time for us. You know, I, I grew up on a farm uh, outside of London, Ontario. I uh, went to uh, Toronto to go to law school. Never thought I'd be on a radio program talking about farming again. So I will have to let all my cousins and uncles know that uh, that I'm doing this. Wow. Well, the defense rests. I wasn't even going to get to that yeah. question for a little while, but I'm glad it's, it's oh, nice. okay. Tell us why you and, and the foundation felt there was a need for this kind of innovation program in the first place out here. We just saw that there was a gap, uh, as you mentioned in the introduction, uh, between the traditional lenders and um uh, we thought we could uh, work with uh, the um, BCDC and the Community Futures Development Corporation to fill that gap. Okay, well, tell me about that gap. Clearly, you felt that there was a gap, that there were farmers out there who had cool ideas and yes, nobody exactly. was backing them. Why did, why, why did you think that, hey, let's glom on to them and help them out uh, compared to all the other groups that are out there seeking funding? Why them? Right, and the idea is... Uh, exactly that, that we are looking for people with ideas. They may not have a capital, they may not have assets to back it. And we're looking for um, farmers uh, and actually anyone in, in the food chain uh, line. So it's not just uh, traditional farmers, but people who are looking to use the agricultural um, production of the area in a, a new way to contribute to you know, food security, et cetera. And, and the idea is that we would uh, support a business plan that actually has potential as opposed to um, uh, requiring uh, you know, collateral to support a loan because uh, our concern was loans would only go to the people who actually have less need of them than someone who, does, who has true need but really can't find someone to help them um, give that idea, uh, bring that idea to fruition. Okay, well, we talk about ideas often in a very almost ethereal way, you know, an innovative yes. idea. Can you give me some concrete ex examples of either ideas that have come across your desk or even if you're just a spitball and say, how about this? Someone has a, an idea to use um, organic goat's milk to make soap, for example, and they, they need uh, a piece of equipment that will turn the milk into the uh, product you use to make the soap. And um, they can't find a bank that will support them because they don't have a track record. They, um, they're too small uh, for the traditional loans. Um, they just need someone to help them, you know, buy that initial piece of equipment that will uh, help them turn, you know, almost like a hobby or a passion into a business. Um, you know, we have such uh, shining examples of local smaller businesses that have grown over time and, and been successful, like, you know, Quartha Dairy, which has been around for a long time. But Mariposa started out, uh, you know, in someone's kitchen and is now the dairy that produces goat cheese for Canada. You know, another example of someone turning a 
agricultural idea into a success is South Pond Farms, where, you know, they produce um, organic food for their kitchen and the restaurant and for sale. Innovative ideas, microgreens, uh, where someone has an idea to turn compost into the base for growing greens for the market in Toronto. And anytime you bring up Corth Dairy Ice Cream, everybody's yeah. on board. <laughs> now, you have, you have said that the ideas are, quote unquote, limited only by one's imagination. Right. And I know you're not making this decision on your own, but how, how do you truly yeah. weigh those innovative ideas versus those that, well, let's just say they're a little bit out there? Well, uh, the benefit we have, the Community Foundation of Portland Lakes uh, has a board, all volunteers, but who represent uh, you know a broad range of experiences. You know, Harry Stoddard, who is the, the general manager for the Lex and comes from a farming background, um, we have uh, people with, you know, governance experience, business experience, deep uh, experience, you know, looking at a business and saying, yes, we think this can fly. Take me to that boardroom table when you're all yes. working yeah. together, weighing the pros and cons. How, how does that work? What's that? What are the dynamics like? Is, right. is it majority rule or can one person sway a complete group? It is consensus. People, you know, can help guide the decision by applying their experience. We are looking for ideas that are a little bit more out there, right? So um, we, we have a bit of uh, luxury in that we're not looking for significant returns. We are looking for a, a modest return. There will be a, a pitch required in order to describe. You have to be able to explain your vision. I don't want to trivialize it. It sounds a little bit like it's Dragon's Den for Kawartha yeah. Lakes in many ways. Uh, <laughs> uh, we, we, someone once used that example, but um, uh, it's called agri-innovation for a reason. Like, you know, we, we talked about you know, what if someone wants to buy a tractor? Well, they can go to you know, a farm equipment company and finance a tractor. Let's say they need a, a piece of uh, canning equipment or a bottler you know, in order to bottle organic honey with, lav with organic infused lavender. Um, you know, it's smaller scale and, and they may want um, some support uh, in order to get that done. You know, we're not we're not the credit committee at the Royal Bank. Not that there's anything wrong with the credit committee at the Royal Bank, but uh, you know, we are local people who are trying to make our local neighbors successful. You mentioned the traditional yeah. banks, and the critic might argue yeah. that well, a lot of these ideas may have come across the table of traditional lenders, and they were turned yes. down. And the critic would argue they were turned down for a reason. And then, well, and then you come yeah. along and you go, well, maybe we'll take a chance on that. So, how big, how much of a chance are you willing to take on, on all of this? We are actually, um, you know, we're trying to drum up business for this program, and one of the sources of the business is going to our local banks. Uh, and, you know, the branches and saying, do you have people that just couldn't fit within your lending criteria? But, you know, you thought, well, you know, they had a good idea. They just didn't fit in our model. Um, that's a source of, of business for us. Um, and, you know, we've been working with the city and the economic development office. We are um, working with um, uh, the media in the farming industry to try and drum up the business um, because we want we want to be able to uh, look at someone who doesn't fit that traditional banking model and take a chance. The range we're talking about is it's not prime. It's higher than prime because of the greater risk, but it's not, you know, asset finance based risk uh, rates. So you're thinking more in the five or 6% range. What can you point to in six months or a year from now, Jack, where you'll be able to say, 
yeah, this program, this agri-innovation program was a success. Eight to 10 loans out, uh, farmers and uh, agricultural uh, entrepreneurs setting up their business, hiring, if they could hire a few people each, um, that would be great. So we see employment generation as one of the indications of success. What we would like to see 10 years from now is a business like we see when we see the towers in Lindsay, where the Mariposa Dairy uh, puts their uh, milk. If we can help the next generation of that business get started, that would be our success. To find out more about the Community Foundation's Agri-Innovation Program, go to kawarthafoundation.ca. In an upcoming episode, you will meet musician Nathan Truax, but here's a prelude to that interview. This is Nathan Truax with Oh, What Are You To Do? I seen your old flame coming round Walking big all around the town spark in your smile something i ain't seen in a while maybe it's just that old cocaine taking the pain away you've got demons in your closet fears in your hand
Dunsford's own Nathan Truax with a song he wrote, Oh, What Are We To Do? Nathan will be our featured musical guest in an upcoming episode. Until then, find him, his music, and his great leather work on Instagram. This is episode 30 of the Advocate Podcast, brought to you by our exclusive sponsor, Ward's Lawyers. For all your legal needs, Carissa and Jason Ward and their team have you covered. Find them at wardlegal.ca. It's an issue that is not new in Kawartha Lakes, but is now being examined more closely by City Council. On one side of the street, figuratively, but in some cases literally, those hoping City Council will approve a proposal which would allow ATVs to travel along designated streets in Lindsay and also allow ATVs to travel directly from homes in Lindsay to those designated streets. On the other side, those who are hoping that proposal is not approved. In today's episode of the Advocate Podcast, we present you with arguments from both sides. The rules were simple but paramount. State your case in 90 seconds or less in a pre-recorded commentary. That commentary would not be edited, provided it adheres to this 90-second maximum rule. Do not mention the name of any individual from the opposing side. We'd then play both of these commentaries back-to-back, all in the spirit of presenting you, our listener, with a civil and fair presentation of both sides of an oft-times contentious topic in our community. First up, we hear from the pro side of this proposal. My name is Carolyn Richards. I'm from Kawartha Lakes, and I'm the president of the Kawartha ATV Association. I believe ATVs should be allowed on designated streets in Lindsay because we need to connect the north and south sections of the Victoria Rail Trail system for off-road vehicles. The ATV sport has grown tremendously over the last five years, and the demographic of riders has broadened. As we see more people moving to Kawartha Lakes to retire, we're also seeing more retirees buying ATVs for the first time, and new families are also discovering the sport. A designated route through Lindsay will allow these riders to connect from one trail to the next in a safe and legal manner and give them options to stop for food and gas along the way. Not only will the riders benefit from being able to enjoy the beautiful trails we have to offer, but the local businesses will benefit from the added spending in the community at a time when our businesses need us most. The ATV route through the village of Felden Falls has been a very successful model of how ATVs and other vehicles can safely share the roads. As noted in the report from the Kawartha Lakes OPP, in the five-year period from 2016 to 2020, there has not been one fatality on a trail or a road in the city of Kawartha Lakes. A trial period is a thoughtful and responsible way for Council to show the residents of Lindsay that ATVs and vehicles can safely share the roads here in town as well. That was Carolyn Richards, who is in favor of the proposal to allow ATVs on designated streets in Lindsay. Here now is an opposing view. My name is Peter Petrosoniak from Lindsay, and I believe ORVs should not be allowed on Lindsay streets, nor on any roads not already permitted, because primarily they are meant for off-road recreational use only. In fact, the manufacturers themselves state that ORVs are not designed, manufactured, or in any way intended for road use. They are not safe on roads. Furthermore, they are associated with a high rate of injury and death. Emergency department visits due to ORV injuries are five to six times higher in the city of Kawartha Lakes compared to the rest of Ontario. So what will happen when ORVs are allowed on roads? Injuries and deaths will increase. That alone is enough reason to keep ORVs off roads. What about the costs to the city? As if health and injury costs are not enough, the city police chief says he would need a bigger budget. According to his report, 
the police force would need their own ORVs and funding for extra policing. What about liability for the city? The city risk management officer says that permitting ORVs on municipal roads may cause the city to bear the cost to defend claims, which will cause future premium increases, and those costs will be borne by you and me, the taxpayer. In summary, ORVs are intended for off-road trails. They are unsafe and are a cause of high rate of injury and death. They will cost the city more in policing, and they will increase liability for the city. That was Peter Petrosoniak, who is not in favor of the proposal to allow ATVs on designated streets in Lindsay. Our thanks to him and Carolyn Richards for sharing their opposing views on this issue. The Off-Road Vehicle Task Force is scheduled to discuss its recommendations at the city's May 4 Committee of the Whole meeting. If you have kids, you know that keeping them busy and engaged and stimulated and entertained at home can be a challenge at the best of times, but especially during this past year with its roller coaster stay at home orders. For children in Canada's remote Indigenous communities, there's often the added challenge of access to stuff for creating art. The stuff that we take for granted, like crayons and paints and beads. Stuff that a donation project at IE Weldon Secondary School sought to address last year. Project 116 Plus supported a broader national program called Art for Aid, whose goal is to gather art supplies and ship them to our country's more than 116 remote Indigenous communities. Locally, Project 116 Plus was spearheaded by now Weldon grad Sidney Topfer, working with now retired Weldon teacher Pam Kukabucker. You'll remember Pam from a recent episode where she and her husband Walt take care of donkeys. Project 116 Plus was suspended this year because of, well, you know. But Pam and Sydney, who's now a student at the University of Guelph, are hoping Project 116 Plus will be revived in the fall by Weldon's Reconciliation in Action Group. Now, I want to take you back about a year ago, a few days before that very first shutdown, in fact. That's when I met with Sydney and Pam and student Austin Nicholson at Weldon, just as they and other students were boxing a bunch of art supplies to be shipped out to these communities. Now, now give a listen, and uh, I'm confident you'll agree that um, you will be rooting to have this unique local program return in the fall. Beads are very um, high, highly wanted for Indigenous communities, um, and so something like that is valued over stuff like pencil crowns or um, other things like that that are a little bit more common. They have a really hard time getting hold of pretty much any art supplies um, because a lot of their communities don't even have access to them. Like we had her send us some pictures of uh, a local co-op, which is the main store that they use there, um, and things like they only had like paintbrushes, they had a few rolls of yarn, but there's not really much options for them. Like there's not a lot of beads, there's not a lot of like different ribbons or like even markers. We didn't, the pictures showed no markers or anything like that. So they have a there's a hard time, hard way to, hard access to these types of supplies, and we want to be able to provide that for them. What was it like for you to realize that they don't have access to these art supplies the way you do out here? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, it's just, it's so unfair. Like, people telling me that you treat others the way you want to be treated, like, everybody's the same. There's no reason why they should be treated differently, and that's exactly how I feel about these issues, is that 
we have access to walk down the store, yet they don't. Um, as well as if we look at things like what's happened in the past with different things like, um, uh, you know, like the Europeans coming over to our to Canada and pretty much just saying you're going to be one of us. But yeah, now if you look at like today, how like it's like they're stuck in the middle of being either indigenous, having their heritage, or trying to become a part of our European society. Yet we don't even give them the opportunity to have access to some supplies that we would. So it's just. You want to be able to provide them with food, clothes, but then like there are things like art supplies where it's it's kind of like a comforting thing. It allows you to kind of focus on other things rather than just like daily life. They can't even do that, so it's just it's unfair. Yeah. A lot of these kids in these communities are kind of feel like stuck. Like they feel like they're stuck. A lot of these, as well as the fact that's where we've kind of targeted uh, remote communities, is that they feel stuck. They feel like there's nowhere for them to go. I could imagine myself being in a community where you don't feel like you have the opportunities, as well as when um, technology became much more popular in these communities, they start to see the kinds of things that some of the southern uh, communities have that they don't have. So by being able to at least provide them something like art supplies, they can start to kind of explore their possibilities. Of course we have to focus on being able to have food and, and supplies like that, but well, what about having fun? Like life isn't just about just living, you want to be able to do stuff, you want to be able to have fun and you want to be able to spend time doing things you enjoy or at least learning new things about yourself. Like for one, I am not an artistic person whatsoever. Really? Yeah, which is the surprising part about this project, but um, being able to kind of draw and or even just like making products, like I, I've, I've learned recently that I enjoy knitting, but it's like it's these new things that you, you get to learn about yourself that's exciting and we want to be able to give everybody the opportunity to be able to do that. What was your reaction when Sydney came to you and said this is something I'd like to do? I loved it, loved it. Anything Sydney does I'm happy to support. I knew she would so I immediately wanted to help her and it's, it's something that's important to me as well so so Austin is a, a Métis, um, from a Métis background, and he, um, he's been going to the Métis cultural camps, and he um, learned that beading is very important, and leather work is really important. So in my class, I was really trying to promote us bringing in beads and needles and leather work things, because that's culturally what they'll use lots of. We've given them lots of other things that will be fun to play with and creative, but it won't be their cultural background. There are many things you could volunteer your time with, but you're here on a Friday afternoon sorting through boxes when you could be shooting pucks against a garage door. I do some stuff with like the M&O and stuff, so I kind of like an idea of what like kids might use up there, you know? Like, like what, what can they use up there? Like different beads and different like needles, different, you know, di like wool and stuff like that and like leather. And buttons. Yeah. Have you done any beadwork at all? Yeah, I've I done it's a little bit. It's pretty tricky first time. I'm seeing all these people here now move around from box to box. Uh, they're working, but they're all smiling and they seem, you know, they're pumped, they're into it. What was it like trying to channel your motivation and your excitement about this into other people who this was new to them? I didn't really have to channel my excitement into them. They already were excited about this stuff. How okay. come? <laughs> That's a good question, but I think 
I think they're kind of the same as me, where it's it's something that they want to be able to kind of provide kids with. And it's the excitement of, you know, kind of, it's like Christmas almost, right? Opening a box and seeing all these supplies, and it's just the possibilities there. You can do whatever you want with it. It's kind of being able to see what it can become. And, and yeah, no, a lot of these, these students that I had asked to help me out, they were all for it. Excitement with everybody. So what's not to be excited about this? What's one thing you can tell me about Sydney that she might be a little uh, embarrassed to hear because she's outside of earshot? Ah, so I've been writing reference letters for her for next year for school, and I um, likened her to Jane Goodall. That's how highly I think of her. Makes me cry, so. <laughs> Everybody loves a new package of markers, right? <laughs> So being able to just open up a new pack of markers and, and draw whatever you want. It's possible, right? A little idea is possible. That's a wrap for episode 30. Not bad, huh? Please tell your friends and acquaintances about us and reach out to us via Twitter, Instagram, and our Facebook page. We love feedback of all kinds. You're able to listen and download this twice monthly program for free thanks to our official sponsor, Ward's Lawyers. Find out what they can do for you at wardlegal.ca. Our musical bridges and theme were written and performed by the super talented Gerald Van Halteren. Big thanks to the Cheese Factory Road players of Jonah, Yannick, and Nancy for their assistance with our opening sketch. The Advocate Podcast Stories from Kawartha Lakes is produced by me, Denny Grignon. Get the jab when you can. Stay safe, stay patient, and stay kind. Talk to you in a few weeks. <laughs>